What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Ice Urn Podcast, the podcast where we talk all things PWHL. My name is Heidi. I'm a big hockey fan, but full disclosure, I do support Boston, and overall, I'm a big women's sports advocate. We had another weird week here in the PWHL, but this time, not the All-Star Game. It is for the international break. So, many people have said that it was just the rivalry series, but that is not all that's going on. We do have the U.S.-Canada rivalry series happening, but there is also the uh, Women's Euro Hockey Tour happening over in the Czech Republic, or Czechia. But first, let's go over the PWHL games that we did have this week. On the 4th, we had New York at Ottawa. This game went to overtime, but New York took the win 4-3. to A lot of my takeaways from this game was that it was a very physical, very chippy game. I don't know that I would call it a full-fledged like rivalry between the two teams just cuz I mean we're still not that far into the season and like historically there's not a, a ton of history between the two. There's not much animosity in terms of the cities yet, but I mean at least for these players maybe there might be something brewing there. Shiga had another uh shoulder or elbow hit this time to Emma Woods' head. Woods' stick went flying in the air. She was grabbing at her head, but there was no call on the ice. And from the looks of it, it didn't look like she went into concussion protocol at all. It did look really bad. Um, the first the first moment that it happened, it did look like that might be a serious head injury there. But like I said, she didn't, didn't seem to go into concussion protocol. So I'm wondering if maybe it was just like a piece of her helmet dug into her face, like a part of the cage or maybe the chin, something like that, maybe like dug into part of her head. I don't, I don't really know what to make of it. And there really hasn't been any word on what specifically happened, at least not that I know of. But if I'm wrong there, please let me know. Um, I, I am curious as to what happened there. Luckily for all involved, it it ended up not being the biggest deal in the world. No blood, no suspensions, no concussions, so dodged a bullet there. Another scary moment was Skimura's hit on Bourbonnet. She It wasn't even like the biggest hit in the world, but Skimura hit her in such a way that Bourbonnet just ended up in the boards at a weird angle, weird position. Like the replay gave me like secondhand pain from it because you can see her like awkwardly kind of uneven hit the boards with her shoulder and like collarbone. And I mean, she was off the ice right away, like bent over, trainer there, getting her back to the trainer's room as fast as possible. But it makes you worried, like a hit like that, even if it's there's no intent for it, it was far enough away from the boards that she had some momentum going into it with room to really carry her so the impact was harder. And just the angle that it was, it theoretically could have been a broken collarbone, broken clavicle, dislocated shoulder, really any of it. Like, it was a scary, scary moment. Um, I think probably for her especially. Uh, I've been in many situations playing sports or just being an idiot um, where you fall or you get hit a certain way. And that initial impact, that initial contact just makes you freeze. And, like, the pain is all that you can think about. It's like stubbing your toe on the coffee table, but, like, times 10. Um, where it's like literally all you can think about, you can't see straight and you're just like in agony, but then it goes away after a couple minutes and there's no lasting impact except maybe a bruise. And oftentimes I find those the most frustrating as a, just a human being. Cause like you made this big deal out of it or you thought you made this big deal out of it, but it ended up being like 
a nothing burger. And it's a little embarrassing, but at the end of the day, I am glad that Bourbonnet was able to get off the ice under her own power and come back on the ice in the same game. Uh, She came back for the third period. Seemingly okay. Again, I haven't heard anything about what happened. I don't know that she had any interviews discussing what exactly had happened in that moment. But but yeah, it could have been a lot worse. And I think these are kind of the hits and plays that the league is really trying to avoid. And I'm not saying Skirmira was necessarily intending to do any of that. I don't think so at all. Um, The play was down in that area so it wasn't it wasn't malicious it wasn't i don't think intentional personally just a, an unfortunate freak accident that it does come with the nature of this game in the second period Brooke Hobson also took a minor penalty for holding but to be honest with you i i'm not positive that that was the right call because it it really did look like a slew foot and apologies i don't remember what player this was a call for uh, but it really looked like in maybe addition to her holding. I think the hold was kind of the weaker side of this play, but her foot really got under the other player's skates. And again, I don't know that it was intentional, but it did kind of look like a slew foot. I don't know. It was a, it was a dubious call for me. I think holding, uh, you could definitely see the hold that the, the ref was talking about, but I think that was the minor part of this play. Hobson had another penalty for interference in the same period of the same game, so it seems uncharacteristic because she has only had three penalties in the nine games that she's played, and the third one was not in this game. So, like, I'm hoping that I'm wrong, and it was just the angles or whatever, but it did, to me, look like a slew foot. Let me know what you think. Feel free to yell at me in my DMs. Now, I want to direct this next part of my game review to Ottawa because I have to say like I really don't know how you managed to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Ottawa played a fantastic fantastic first couple periods. First two periods all over the ice all over the puck making smart plays scoring three unanswered goals like you had a great first two periods so what the heck happened in between the second and the third period and also in the first 10 minutes and the second 10 minutes of the third period i'm flabbergasted this isn't a knock on new york because new york had an absolute hell of a last 10 minutes of the game it was potentially the best comeback of this entire league so far they scored three goals in the last like i said 10 minutes of this game Rock went top shelf on a beauty of a shot, as everyone has been expecting of her. Eldridge had a great pass, a very patient pass, to Jade Downey Landry, who once again was in the right place at the right time. Great positioning work there. Just bounced it right into an empty net. And then for that third goal, Rock had another very patient pass to Carpenter. And I don't know that many players would have waited to make that pass. Um... She really, you could almost see the gears turning in her head, see the thought process, and her waiting to make that pass to Carpenter, who had a wide open net, was just impressive. And like that's the Abbey Rock that everybody's been, everybody's been waiting for, and we've seen flashes of it. But I think this game, the last ten minutes, really highlighted the game that Abbey Rock can play. 
And I also don't want this to sound like I'm coming down on Emmerin's Mashmire at all. Because Mashmire was on it. She maybe had moments where she, that she wants back. Maybe she had moments that she could have been in better positioning, could have made, made a save. But, I mean, at the end of the day, Otto cracked under the pressure. I mean, that's really the only way that I can describe it. At the end of the game, Ottawa had 42 shots on goal. 42. New York had 31. Those are both large numbers for any league. 42 especially large. So, I mean, Mashmeyer can't be blamed for it. And, I mean, just like you can't blame Schroeder for all of New York's struggles in the first two and a half periods. It, again, wasn't maybe her best game, but with 42 shots, only three goals... I mean, I can't critique that, you know? I mean, maybe maybe Lexi Agia's goal was made a little soft. But again, 42 shots, man. Alex Carpenter needs more accolades, I think, than what she's been getting. And not to say that nobody's talking about her, because certainly that's not the case. But Carpenter in this game really came out and showed that she can be Captain Clutch, too, in her own way. Hopefully we see more of that uh, in the games going forward. Also on the 4th, we had the matchup that I think a lot of people, especially in the Boston area, have been waiting for since the beginning of the season. Montreal at Boston. Sadly for me, Montreal took the win 2-1 to in overtime. I am proud of this area, of the Boston area. We had the biggest crowd that we've had so far with 4,210 people in the crowd. And I think a lot, a large part of that has to do with the fact that Jillian Dempsey was back in the building for the first time since the fold of the NWHL. So for those of you unfamiliar, Jillian Dempsey is like the epitome of a local player. She was born in Winthrop, Mass, and she played for Harvard University for four years. After Harvard, she played with the Boston Blades in the CWHL and then the Boston Pride for like ever since 2015 in the NWHL. She also, as a kid, was the the person who named the Boston Bruins mascot. So she is a much beloved local player who everyone who has followed the local teams in the last couple of years was desperately hoping would come back to Boston. Unfortunately for them and us, she uh, signed with Montreal. So here we are. A lot of signs of love for her around the building though. On to the game. I'm really enjoying the play that I'm seeing from Gigi Marvin. And I don't remember if I've mentioned her yet or not, um, but Gigi Marvin is one of the two oldest players in the league. Her value comes not only from her play but also her mentality at at least it seems from an outside perspective Uh, she is responsible on both sides of the puck she's not just dumping it in and not looking she's not just uh, playing wide out when she's back on defense she's going hard to the puck she's not afraid of contact she's not phoning in any of her shifts she is putting in the effort and doing all of the right things. Um, and she also seems very calm. She doesn't seem to have any moments of panic. Not when people, not when players are coming at her. Not when uh, she has to make a difficult play. It just seems like she's a very level head on the ice. And um, 
yeah, I'm just really enjoying seeing her play. Marvin's a real asset, especially to the Boston bottom six. We're starting to see more chances come from the bottom six. We're starting to see better play, I think, overall from the bottom six. They're really thinking more. There's less panic. Maybe they're not gripping their sticks as tight. That's really what Boston needs going forward is we can't just rely on the top six forwards. We can't just rely on like Megan Keller from the back end. It has to come from the wheel dogs, so to speak, like the the bottom six. Uh, Everybody's got to be tugging the rope. Another thing I noticed from this game was uh, I watched Frankel a lot more than I think I have before, just at a better angle. And um, she had a few... In my notes, I wrote brain fart moments or like maybe more uh, impulsive decisions would be a better way to phrase it. Um, Where she, there was one where she like came out of the net to play the puck and like got stuck behind the net. And then there was, I think in overtime when she just like fully came out of the net almost to center ice and then like backtracked it last second before she even played the puck. She just had a couple of moments where I'm like, what, (laughs) what? I'm not, I don't understand why you did that or why, what happened? Like, I, I'm just a couple of brain fart moments is really the only way that I can say it. And luckily, all of those that I just mentioned worked out for her. And the goals that were scored on her were not like, not due to her brain farts or impulse decisions. Uh, they were just straight up gold goals or smart goals. What I liked about it is that I think it was the one where she came out of the net and got stuck behind it. She came over to the bench during the next TV timeout and I could like read her lips as she's talking about it with um, a couple of the defenders. And you could see her just so mad at herself, but also kind of finding it funny. Like you could, I caught a, a couple of F-bombs maybe in there, um, but it was, it was nice to, to see that human moment come out and like her actively thinking about her game and actively acknowledging mistakes so that they don't happen again maybe later even if she did have you know another another moment or two the rest of the game after that the first goal Montreal scored on Frankel was Aaron Ambrose coming across the crease and I don't think anybody really expected her to I think everyone was expecting a pass and she just capitalized on that and managed to get the puck five hole I want to be mad as a Boston fan. I want to be mad, but I mean, it was smart. And if you have the space, you have to take it. And that's that's the game. So it, the Ambrose goal was just beautiful to watch, unfortunately. On the other side of the ice, Elaine Chuli was the one in net. And fun fact, my mother's name is Elaine. So I uh, got that connection. Elaine Chuli, I think, is the best backup tender in the league. If the league expanded right now and the fantasy draft said you can only draft backup goaltenders, I think 100% Elaine Chuli would be the first one snatched up. Absolutely. Bar none. She could be a starter. If she was backing up maybe anybody but Debian, it'd be more like a 1A, 1B situation. And again, for a Boston fan, it is tough to watch because you like her so much she is so talented so good at what she does but you don't want her to be so that you can win a game I know I say this all the time it seems like for every game every situation I feel like a broken record but this matchup was so even in my opinion the only way that this was going to be decided was which goaltender was having the better day 
because Frankel is a great, great goaltender. I'm not taking anything away from her. Obviously, she only had two goals on her. That's great. I think Boston did a great job shutting down Marie-Philippe Poulin overall. Um, she did have an assist on the Ambrose goal, but I mean, when she's such an elite player, such an elite goal scorer, to only have an assist, to keep her from scoring a goal at all, it's, that's a win in my book. I think Boston had her, at least her, figured out, which is what gave Aaron Ambrose that space, that time to score that opening goal. It was also a game where, once again, the refs decided that the game was going to police itself and there were very few penalties, which made the, the game go fast, but also a little frustrating when there were some trips, there were some cross checks, there were some little things. On the other hand, as a Boston fan, the Boston penalty kill is unreal. They've still only allowed one power play goal in the whole season so far, so they're I think the best in the league, last I knew. Their power play, on the other hand, is like regular play. I don't know what it is. I can't pinpoint exactly what the issue is. But their power play is just so mid and like not great. It's like you got nothing going. You just can't get anything in. I think part of that was um, Montreal has a great penalty kill. But... This is a longer-term pattern that I've seen from Boston. So hopefully the back half of the season, they'll be able to turn that around. That game-winning goal, I think, was one of the weirdest moments, or one of not one of the weirder goals of the season. And I want to call it like a bad line change, but I don't even think that's what it was. Because I just see players coming and going near the benches, and then Laura Stacy go up the ice but suddenly there's nobody but Keller there and Keller's like trying to decide whether to slide in front of Stacy or block the pass and she ends up just making the split second decision i believe to block the pass and then Stacy ends up shooting and scoring and you could see um i watched it back and Keller was kind of like beating herself up about that but when you're on your own and there's two Montreal players in the other zone there's only so much you can do and it's a 50-50 chance on whether you make the right right call. So I can't necessarily blame Keller at all in that situation. Mueller, I think, was just a second too slow and getting back on defense. And again, I don't know if that was a line change or not. It was kind of unclear, but it was a little frustrating because it, it seemed like it came out of nowhere. All that to say, Stacey had a great goal and she also had great interviews her post-game interview from the bench, I watched back. And I got to say, overall, PWHL players do really great interviews. They have personality and they, they express it, unlike NHL players. But I think Laura Stacey was exceptionally well-spoken, um, didn't use many cliches. I don't know, she just seemed very comfortable. And now I'm going to transition a little bit at the risk of sounding like an old man yelling at the clouds. If you, as an adult, bring a child to a hockey game with you, please, please, please supervise that child. Whether you're a parent, a coach, an aunt, an uncle, whatever your relation to that child is, if you brought them to the game, they are your responsibility. 
we were two rows back from the Boston bench. The row in front of us, four seats were empty. So second period, one little girl comes maybe like 10 years old, 11 years old, comes and sits in front of us. Totally fine. Shout out to that girl. Um, Kept turning around and like waving to her family and like talking to her family during timeouts. Totally fine. Third period, at least half, if not more than half of a U10 team came and stood in front of us. I think it was a U10 team. You know what I mean? Like eight, nine-year-old, 10-year-olds. There was at least like 10 of them just standing in front of us not sitting, standing. During the game, one of them had taken their jersey off and was trying to throw it over the glass into the player's bench, which thankfully one of the other girls like shut down. Otherwise, they were just like wrestling with each other. One of them was giving the other players, I guess you call it snake bite, where you twist their skin like opposite directions, like on their arms, on their legs, on one girl's neck. Like, she, there was wrestling happening in front of us. I literally said to my fiancé that somebody was going to get a concussion and it was not going to be a player on the ice. Like, these kids were out of control and not once did I see any adult check in. When you bring kids to an event, they are your responsibility for that entire event. Your fellow spectators, the event staff, are not your babysitters. The players on a hockey team that are playing a game are not your babysitters. Hopefully, nobody who listens to this is part of the crew that will just abandon their children at a hockey game. But if you are, please, 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 just supervise them. Supervise your children. Alright, now moving on to something a little bit more positive, or a lot more positive... The PWHL announced that there will be a takeover series in two cities that currently do not have teams. Ottawa will play Boston on the 16th at 6 p.m. in Detroit at Little Caesars Arena. And Montreal will play Toronto on the 17th at 12.30 p.m. in Pittsburgh at PPG Paints Arena. Tickets are already on sale for the Montreal-Toronto game. And tickets go on sale for the Ottawa-Boston game on the 13th at 4 o'clock. So if you're in those areas, definitely go check out a game. It is well worth your time, even if none of them are your team. I'm also hoping that in the near future that Minnesota and um, New York will get some kind of out-of-market game as well, just to even things out a little bit. But we will stay tuned for that and see what happens there. A couple of things that people have been wondering about and people includes myself are the trade deadline uh when that's going to be in the pwhl and what the draft is going to look like so we might have answers sooner than we thought mark collie on twitter said that the pwhl has decided internally on a trade deadline and is finalizing a draft format for next season and his source for that was jana hefford And he says, announcements on both should be coming, quote, very shortly, unquote. So I'm less interested in the trade deadline as I am the draft. And the reason I'm so curious about the draft is because this league looks so different from a league like the NHL or even the KHL or any European leagues, really, because 
there's no farm system. There's just the NCAA and U Sports in Canada. Other than that, I mean, there's really not much. And also, it's a question of what age are we going to be drafting these players at? Are they going to do it similar to the NHL where, I mean, basically at 18, any player is eligible? Or are they going to do it more like the NFL because NCAA is really where they're going to be drafting their players from? Um, For those unfamiliar, the NFL rule is that they have to be at least three years removed from high school in order to be eligible for the draft. So a college degree isn't mandatory. Um, Any college education isn't mandatory. But I mean, that's usually the route that everyone goes because where else are you going to play? I personally would prefer this kind of thing. I think it's just a more logical system when you don't have like a development league, like an AHL or ECHL to send your young players to, to learn. They're just going to end up going to some college or university in the States or in Canada, or they're going to go play in Europe. If you drafted right out of college, then you don't have to worry about having a team for them to develop on because it's already happened. The longer that you wait to develop in the, in the lower league, the better, in my opinion. Not only is a body not necessarily done growing at 18 years old, but I also think that there is a lot of necessary maturing that needs to happen when you make the jump from high school straight to professional. I think kids and young adults miss a lot of valuable time, so then we're not not necessarily setting them up for success in life or in hockey. I think the longer that you wait, the better results you're going to see because they've had the chance to like get a taste of adult life and freedom, but also ha- like had the higher level discipline of a collegiate or lower level professional league, as opposed to just throwing them straight in the deep end. And I'm not saying there's no development like programs at all because their USA Hockey does have a development program. But that's only for ages 15 to 18. So that's like high school age, not post high school. Like boys can go play in the CHL up until 20, I think, is the the cap for an overage player. So, I mean, it's only an extra year or two, but that's still better than just coming from high school straight into being a professional. My only maybe hesitation for that is like, would that kind of system send more players to Europe? And I I don't know the answer to that, but I would lean towards no, because I think the NCAA and U Sports are still so instrumental in developing women's players because of that lack of anywhere else. And kind of on the flip side of this, I'm curious to see if European players will also be draft eligible or if they're all just going to be free agents able to be signed, because There's more of a system over in Europe, especially, to develop young players. Each team, from my understanding of it, in most leagues, have like a U16, a U18, like younger teams owned by the same parent team in order to develop their players. And I wonder if they're still going to opt to stay over there and forego the draft, or are they going to be able to be drafted and then they can make the choice whether to come over here or stay over there. I just find all of this kind of admin stuff very interesting and obviously I have no say in it but um, I'm very interested to find out what the answers are and watch the first drafts because it'll be 
so interesting. I mean, first dra- second draft, really, but the the first draft of whatever system they choose to go with. And just to wrap everything up, I'll go over the scores so far as of 8.30 on Saturday night for both the Rivalry Series and the Euro Hockey Tour. So the U.S. and Canada have played two games in Saskatchewan so far. Both of them have been Canadian victories, unfortunately. Canada won on the 7th, 4-2, and then yesterday the 9th, 3-0. If I had to guess, I think tomorrow might be a turnaround for the U.S., considering they are playing in Minnesota, so really pulling for them there. They could really use this win. For reference on how relevant the uh, rivalry series is to the PWHL, there are 49 active players that are participating in the series, so I mean it's basically half the league. And then flying over to Europe, there's still one more day of play, but... Through four out of five days so far, Finland leads the uh, leaderboard right now with two wins and one overtime loss. Switzerland is not far behind with two wins, a loss, and an overtime loss. And then Czech and Sweden are in similar situations, uh, one win, one loss, and one overtime win. But Czech leads the two of them in points scored. And then poor Germany rounding out the pack with zero wins and three losses. The final two games tomorrow are Finland versus Germany and Czech versus Sweden. And in terms of how I think this is going to shape out tomorrow, I think the final standings are going to be pretty much the same as they are now. Finland, Switzerland, Czechia, Sweden, Germany, if I had to guess. There have been some really notable players in this series from the PWHL. Soderberg has been the number one goaltender for Team Sweden. Abstrider has been in net for Germany. Vanishova, Krishova, and Rashova have all put up points for Team Czechia. And Tapani has put up a couple of points for Team Finland. Alina Mueller decided to stay in the United States, so unfortunately we didn't get to see any more international play for her. But her countrymen have done her proud, for sure, in uh, tying Finland for first place. Um, And they're only behind because of their amount of goals scored. So I think that Switzerland is definitely on the rise for women's hockey. And uh, it's a bright future for the PWHL with all of these players. That's all I got for this week. Uh, Make sure that you subscribe. Make sure that you follow on Instagram and all of the social medias. You can find it the pod at ice earned pod on pretty much everything you can also find it on youtube uh no video yet but for those who listen on youtube music if you listen on spotify you might notice in the pod description uh there is a support the podcast option and i just want to mention that because uh, I will never make this cost money. This is purely a hobby for me. Um, I don't want anybody to feel like they can't participate because it costs money because I totally understand that. Not everybody's in the position to uh, pay money to listen to somebody talk to you for an hour every week. So it's there. If you feel like you need to support the podcast or feel like you want to support the podcast, all of the money that Uh, I get from any donations or anything like that goes straight into better equipment um, to create the podcast and hopefully that will play into getting guests eventually 
Um, so if you feel called to help support, feel free to hit the uh, support button. It would mean a lot to me. And But like I said, please don't feel obligated. Uh, this will never, ever, ever require money for you to listen to. Um, I really enjoy getting to talk about this every week. This is an outlet for me just as much as it is for all of you listening. So thanks for listening. Obviously, I wouldn't still be doing this if there weren't people listening to me talk. So really appreciate all of the uh, the followers that I've got. And uh, I'm excited to to get back to some regular weeks. Have a good week, everybody, and I'll see you next time.